welcome to Legend Lore 2nd Edition, where we talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I'm Jess. I'm a tabletop RPG freelancer and frequent contributor to the Pathfinder and Starfinder games. I've been playing tabletop and live-action role-playing games for a little over 20 years, and I've worked in the industry for five, writing for two dozens of Paizo products. I played Zidani, the Azamar Druid, on the Valiant Actual Play podcast, and I'm a cast member on the Tavern Rats podcast, a new Pathfinder 2 actual play show we're putting together for the No Direction Network. And I'm Lauren. I've been playing RPGs for 20 years, and I am your resident wildlife biologist. And this week, we are talking about... Well, how do you make a marching sound? I want to make a marching sound. Drew, add a marching sound to this. Hobgoblins. Now, just because we know a lot about what we're talking about when it comes to Pathfinder, we do want to remind you that we're not providing official answers. We're here to offer advice, and you can use that advice however you like. The official word comes from Paizo, and that is the only official ruling. However, don't forget that when you're running Pathfinder, it's your game, and you can do whatever works best for your table. Now, friends, listeners who have heard Legend Lore quite a few times before, you know we've done all of the core races. Ancestries. Uh, for, for the core ancestries from, from the CRB. And I like to go into a bit of the history behind them. With humans, it was fun talking about the way humans are portrayed in fantasy settings. Hobgoblins no different. Etymologically speaking, you know, goblins are have been a thing, but the hob uh, is comes from an archaic word for elf to kind of imply that these were still among the creatures of the Fae. They were mischievous. They were little helpful house spirits. And in 1976... Catherine Mary Briggs cataloged the history of these fae creatures in her origin of fairies, and she shows how they were just kind of mischievous, helpful little things you might have around the house before Christianity kind of came in and made them a bit more mischievous, which later became a bit more malicious. But, you know, before then, uh, just as an example of the mischievous hobgoblin, Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream, a Shakespearean classic. Shakespeare himself called Puck a hobgoblin. But by today's standards, you would look at that character and say, oh yeah, that's a fairy, you know? The kind that goes on like a sewing kit from your grandma, right? But now we see hobgoblins as a little bit less mischievous and more malice, where goblins and hobgoblins started to become more wicked. So today when we look at goblins and we think of their hobgoblin cousins, we, we think of kind of a, a mean-spirited kind of creature. Yeah, the way that the Pathfinder hobgoblins are, there's not a ton of examples of that kind of character in popular culture, or at least when we do see them, we don't typically see them called by the hobgoblin name. Now, one example that you came up with, which I absolutely loved, because there's not a, gr- a lot of great examples, right? But you were talking about Jareth the Goblin King. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so Jareth the Goblin King uh, from the Labyrinth film. Uh, he's described as the Goblin King, but he's not really a goblin himself. Uh, he is the king of the goblins without himself being a goblin. And this is the kind of relationship that goblins and hobgoblins often have, where a hobgoblin 
might be the leader of a group of goblins. And so in the example of Jareth, I think calling him a hobgoblin really kind of calls back to the idea of hob being like an elf. So he's a, he's a hobgoblin in the same kind of a way that you would call Puck a hobgoblin, where he's kind of like a, a fairy who rules over all of these other kind of goblin miscreants. So more in like the classical sense of the hobgoblin. Looking at, I had to Google this because I really, you know, I really couldn't think of any great hobgoblins, but I found that that is one of the Spider-Man villains. And I was thinking like, wait a minute, no, 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 that's Green Goblin. Apparently this is a different villain, but he kind of does the same things, right? Like, I don't know. He looks kind of just like a reshade to me. Comic book fans, please do not butcher me in the comments or at least make it merciful and quick. Yeah, Hobgoblin and Green Goblin both have kind of like the same equipment kit and they both take the goblin serum that changes them in kind of a similar way. They're, they're very closely related villains, but I also am not an expert on the comic books. I also had this idea, and this was my favorite one. That's why I saved it for last. But like, I never felt like the orcs from Lord of the Rings were traditionally orky. I shouldn't say that because that kind of helped establish the tradition. I'd say by modern fantasy games, when we think of an orc, we're not thinking of the kind of creature that we see in Lord of the Rings. You know, we're, when we think of orcs, we're thinking like these big muscular, like like green critters who, you know, just have this culture and, and they punch the crap out of stuff and they're like real burly. But when I thought of the the Lord of the Rings orcs always felt to me like tall goblins. And that's kind of how I think of hobgoblins, as like tall goblins with this this militaristic bent, you know? Yeah, I think linking the Lord of the Rings orcs to the hobgoblins is a really good instinct and maybe more accurate than you realize. Just because they kind of share a common origin story where the orcs in Lord of the Rings were created by uh, an entity changing elves into orcs. And the same is kind of true of the Pathfinder Hobgoblins too, where they were goblins that were changed into hobgoblins. So in Pathfinder then, what are we looking at for a hobgoblin? Clearly we're not looking at Puck or Peter Pan playing pranks on people, right? Yeah, so the Pathfinder Hobgoblins uh, have kind of a similar body shape to the goblins. They're just uh, like you, you take them and you stretch them up and they're taller, right? But both the hobgoblins and the regular goblins, they're kind of lanky and they have those like round football shaped Hey Arnold heads. <laughs> uh, That's the, such the a piezo thing too. <laughs> yeah. The the goblins are typically, they're, they're short, they're green, and they have kind of that, that mischievous characterization. Whereas the hobgoblins are more uh, kind of gray blue. They're as tall as the humans. They're militant, they're disciplined, and they're organized. And their societies are kind of organized into military hierarchies. And they also have a history of fighting a lot of wars. When your society is arranged in military hierarchies, does that mean like your mayor is also your sergeant? And like you, you know, like your upper echelon leaders of society, those are uh, th th that's like your generals. 
I that is the vibe that I get from them. Yeah, I I do think that I know that one of the hobgoblin uh, nations is described as a military dictatorship. I think we'll touch on that a little bit more soon. Yeah, which is why we are ready to talk about the lore of Galar of hobgoblins in Galarian. Now, Jess, you have prepared a lot of delicious lore for us to go over today. What are we going to start with? Oh, yeah. So we're starting uh, way back in the age of legends on Golarian. And so there is a now dead goddess of life, transformation, and forests called Cantoris. And she created the Cantorian Spring, which was a staff that she placed on Golarian, intending for mortals to find and use it to change themselves according to their own wishes and in their own image. Jess, but, that sounds really, really cool and positive. I'm sure nothing goes wrong with this. Oh. So there is a powerful devil, Kanzoriant, who kills Cantoris, and then he uses the staff to transform the early goblins that existed in the Age of Legends into hobgoblins. Kanzorian also taught the hobgoblins to hate elves and then used them as soldiers in his war against the elves of the Age of Legends. So even in their infancy, even in the first days created, uh, they're already plunged into war. It is unfortunately a tale as old as time, or at least, you know, about 15 years. <laughs> yeah. So moving into more modern times in, next we look at the Goblin Blood Wars, because this is really foundational to the culture that the Hobgoblins have now. Beginning in around 14, or 14, my goodness, here I'm trying to go into real world history. In around 4697 AR in Iskar, uh, Hobgoblin commanders led these armies of goblins and hobgoblins uh, from the Chitterwood against rural sediments close to the woodland home. But as the war continued, it spread all across Aviston. After the war, the Chitterwood was basically burned to cinders. And without any home to return to, these hobgoblin veterans of the Goblin Blood Wars, they're driven into Malthoon and the Mendor Mountains, where conditions really weren't that conducive for thriving. Yeah, one of the hobgoblins who fought in the Goblin Blood Wars was a foot soldier named Aza. After falling in the Valley of Iron Fangs and rising up from a mass grave, Aza renamed herself as Ersi, or Aza the Immortal, and began recruiting other veterans of the Goblin Blood Wars to fight for revenge and to carve out a home for her people in Malthoon. Azersi and her recruits ultimately became the Iron Fang Legion. Now, the Iron Fang Legion. This is where we're talking about, like, yesterday in Galarian terms. There was just an adventure path about this. And so Azersi took the Iron Fang Legion and somehow... Just explain anywhere how she, how she got the Onyx Key. I'm sure it's explained in the adventure path. Yeah, as, as, as two co-hosts of a show about lore who did not play the adventure path, I'm going to assume... She won it in Conquest. <laughs> Please uh, let me know if that is mistaken in the comments 
in, on Discord. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about the Iron Fang invasion, or perhaps in uh, experiencing it firsthand as a player character, by all means, play the Iron Fang invasion adventure path. So Azerse took these veterans of the Goblin Blood War, turned them into the Iron Fang Legion, acquired the Onyx Key in a way that I can only assume is, is conquest, and she used it to create this defensible little pocket home base place in the plane of Earth. That's a bit of a mouthful. And then it only gets more full in the mouth because they called it the Onyx Vault. And in it, she had claimed the Vault of the Onyx Citadel. Or the Onyx Citadel, I assume. It's just, you know, this is why people critique fantasy nerds. You know, this is like some Cones of Dunshire stuff in here, right? <laughs> so, what's cool about the Onyx Key and the Vault of the Onyx Citadel is that this allowed Azerse to create these planar pathways uh, to and from this location that only she and her troops could access, allowing her to teleport her armies behind cities in Nermathus. Sorry for your luck, kid. Take over some territory, head back where she needs to go, regroup for the next conquest. And this was so successful that they carved out like a huge chunk of land for themselves. And she would have kept going if it wasn't for her advisors who were saying, General Azerse, so much blood has been spilt. We respect you so much. We love you. Stop murdering people. Let's just call this home while we're still ahead. And she agreed. And now we call that land Oprak. So Oprak is a lawful evil military dictatorship in the Ive Dread region. Uh, it's only about like 300 miles across on Golarian, but they also have their territories in the Onyx Vault that they could access through the stone roads, which takes them to their incredibly verdant, mineral-rich, uh, planar location, where they have a lot of resources and wealth that they can use for building their nation. On Aviston, or the continent that the the Lost Omen settings takes place in, the, the, the setting that you think about when you think of Pathfinder, Oprak is the center of hobgoblin culture, but it's not the only nation of hobgoblins on Galarian. And General Azerse was able to use these stone roads to form diplomatic relations with the other hobgoblin nation of Kaoling on the opposite side of the planet. Yeah, Kaoling is a nation in Tianxia. And like Oprak, it is a highly militarized uh, hobgoblin society. There are some hobgoblins in Kaoling who resent the nation's oppressive laws, uh, leaving to become uh, maybe dangerous warlords or, on the other side of the coin, adventurers, striving to prove hobgoblins can be disciplined without also being cruel. That's a lot of lore about the hobgoblins, showing these people as something far more interesting, far more enriched and with a, with a vibrant culture than, say, what you would have thought about 30 years ago playing Dungeons & Dragons. But if I want to play a hobgoblin in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, Jess, what do I need to know? 
Yeah, the ancestry mechanics for hobgoblin characters uh, can be found in the Lost Omens character guide, and then there are more hobgoblin options where the ancestry was expanded in the Lost Omens ancestry guide. So hobgoblin characters have eight hit points from their ancestry. Respectable. They are, yeah, it's it's quite a bit. They are medium size. They have 25 foot movement speed. Their ability boosts are to constitution and intelligence, and then they get their free boost. And their ability flaw is to wisdom. They have both the goblin and humanoid traits. They have dark vision. And a hobgoblin character begins speaking the common and goblin languages. And then for your additional languages, you can choose between Draconic, Dwarven, Null, Jotun, Halfling, and Orcish. I think that the ability boost to Constitution makes a lot of sense. Since their culture is, you know, so so organized and disciplined and <laughs> kind of built around the structures of a, of a military, that, you know, they're going to do a lot of marching, right? I think constitution makes a lot of sense. But when you get to ability boost to intelligence, it's almost like, hmm, well, what is it about hobgoblins that makes them a a boost to intelligence? And I think I've got it figured out. I think it's how they're taught to be so organized. They're just, they grow up in this culture of organization. And maybe they're better organizing their thoughts as well, just as a byproduct of learning that. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense to me. Now, if I want to play, a ho- if I choose to play a hobgoblin, those are how we can, those are what all hobgoblins are going to have. But then we get, all oh, of my favorite part of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the heritages, or at least the specific ones for hobgoblins in this case. Yeah, so for hobgoblin heritages, we have the Elfbane Hobgoblin, where you retain your ancestral resistance to magic and you gain a special resist elven magic reaction. The Runt Boss Hobgoblin, where you're smaller than other hobgoblins, but you're better at commanding goblins. The Shortshanks Hobgoblin, where you are kind of a squat little hobgoblin, where you, your torso is extra long, but you have like real short legs. And you that are is low- so silly. Oh. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then your low center of gravity helps you with uh, riding and climbing. So you're such a uh, squirt, you- you're a squirt little guy. Can you picture that? Like, a long torso and short legs. Like, this is the goofiest looking hobgoblin. I I honestly am surprised it got they printed this. Because it's so ridiculous. You're still, like, real wide, too. Oh. <laughs> then we have the Smokeworker Hobgoblin. You have a family history of being, like, alchemists or engineers or scientists. It gives you fire resistance, and you're good at seeing your targets through smoke. The Steel Skin Hobgoblin, your body is calloused, but it helps you with recovery from, say, persistent physical energy or poison damages, such as Persistent Bleed, a common and lethal threat in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. My favorite, the War March Hobgoblin. You come from a line of mercenaries or, or wandering soldiers for hire, and because of that wandering nature, you're better at subsisting on the environment around you, you can find the food good, and you're better at hustling to your next destination. In the last of our list of hobgoblin heritages, the Warren-bred hobgoblin. You're from a line of hobgoblins that 
had to adapt to live underground. So your ears are going to be a little bit longer because you're more sensitive to the vibrations of sound around you. You're going to be good at seeking undetected creatures in underground settings and squeezing through tight places. Yeah, hobgoblins also, like all ancestries, have lots of cool, fun options for your ancestry feats. A lot of ancestries have a lore feat, and for hobgoblins, your hobgoblin lore feat will make you trained in athletics and crafting skills in addition to hobgoblin lore. What I like about these ancestry-specific feats is that with just a few additions, you're trained in athletics and crafting. It tells you a lot about these people, right? It tells you about what they value so much that any hobgoblin who was classically trained the hobgoblin way knows athletics and they know crafting. They can march and they can clean a sword. I always thought that was so cool. And then this, of course, is paired with the fact that all ancestries or I don't know. Most. There might be a few that don't. I think there, I think some of the more niche ones might not have this. Mm-hmm. But most ancestries have a weapon feat that goes with it. So for hobgoblin weapon feat line will give you all characters that take it. Training in composite longbows, composite short swords, glaives, halberds, longbows, long spears, long swords, short bows, and spears. The prototypical weapons of doing battle. Yeah. Looking through the Hobgoblin feats, one of my favorites that I saw was Pride in Arms, which is a ninth level feat that gives you a reaction you can use when one of your allies brings an enemy down to HP, you just celebrate their success, you become their hype man, you shout encouragements to them, and then you being their hype man gives them temporary HP. And I love this feat because it's so wholesome. Like, we describe <laughs> hobgoblins as like, oh, they fight in wars, military this, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you're also out there just hyping up your buddies. They even, they even insinuate that this is a positive thing by calling it pride in arms. You're proud of your buddies. Get up. You got this. You know? Yeah. I had trouble picking out an ancestry feat for hobgoblins. Not because it was replete with good options but because it was resplendent with good that's not how you use that word because the options were resplendent let's just pretend i have not used silly words here there's a lot of good stuff but one of them i didn't want to go all the way down to level 17 with this but i had to azurai's roads if you're in Nethus in the official material, but if you might be using Pathfilter, it's called Stone Roads. This lets you plane shift twice per week, but you can only go to the plane of Earth or back from the plane of Earth to the material plane. It's just so... It's just interesting. It fits the lore of the culture. It fits this ancestry so well. And, and it's plane shift twice per week. It's so neat. We arrive at my favorite part of the Ancestry episodes. Jess, this is your first Ancestry episode here on Legend Lore. Yeah. Uh, so, so I am excited to see what you have brought. This is where we kind of throw up some sample ideas for Hobgoblin characters, just to, just so you listeners can kind of see how we would do it. Uh, first, we're going to talk a little bit about the names of Hobgoblins. It seems like they like to take 
they just typically have like one name. They don't have a surname, and it's like a guttural sound. Uh, but over the course of their life, they might add more to it as they've accumulated more more things in their life or, or something particularly important to their life. I think I think Azere actually did this too, right? Yeah, she was Aza and then became Azerasi uh, when she rose up from the mass grave and took her place uh, to form the Iron Fang Legion. So that like moment, that important like creating her new self and and forging her own path forward, that moment for her is what uh, what inspired her to take on a new name because her old self was dead. On that dark note, we're also going to do a bad hobgoblin accent for you. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I like to come up with just some really dumb saying that it just it just spawned out of my brain in an instant. But you had this great idea, Jess. You went and found this actual quote from a hobgoblin. This is amazing. This is from Afet, a hobgoblin commando in the Iron Fang Invasion, number five, Prisoners of the Blight. He said, I can probably stand the sight of you until we leave this wretched hole. Now here's how this is gonna work, Jess. We're gonna we're going to we're going to show off these very quick, very quick little little concepts we came up with. And then when we're done, we'll pick one and we'll both tr- say that line with that character's voice. Are you All ready? Right. Yeah, I want you to go first though. Okay. I'm starting with look folks, I can't help it. I, I like a good classic as much as I like something really weird, but I, I'm gonna appreciate the classic here. I'm picking a hobgoblin of the war march heritage and a fighter. I'm using the martial archetype with this class just because I love the idea of that archetype and the way they inspire their friends or they kind of scare them into getting back into shape. And I'm I've have been thinking about this character for a while because I love the new weapon, the breaching pike. It's a hobgoblin specific weapon, and it's so cool. It's good at dealing extra damage to to fortifications or shields. And I'm naming this character Burke. Alright, let's hear Burke's voice. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm not gonna do it for all of them. You want me to do Burke? I like this. Oh, I like that. Oh, okay. I like that we pick each others. Okay. And I thought we funny. were doing. I thought we were doing all of them. Nah, that's, I don't want to say that three times. We'll say. Okay. I'll okay. say it once. All right. But now you've introduced an interesting well, precedent. I think that I will pick one of your concepts and have you do uh-huh. that one. Okay. Well, I don't. Do if me. I only get to pick one of yours, I don't want Burke. Sorry, Burke. Okay. So my first hobgoblin that I've created is a hobgoblin duskwalker. So this is a hobgoblin who has died once before, and then they were returned by the uh, the psychopomps. So this is a hobgoblin thaumaturge named Kovzra. And Kovzra has the bell implement uh, for counteracting uh, any magic that, you know, maybe any elves might be using. Kovzra also has the celebrity archetype because they are a celebrity monster hunter. They're very famous as a thaumaturge. And then as a Duskwalker, Kovzra's uh, ancestry feat is the Willing Death uh, ancestry feat, which means that when Kovzra died the first time, it was 
defending their allies, taking the hit for the team, being being the one who made the sacrifice so the rest of their allies could make it out alive. Man, that's awesome. I love how you brought the celebrity archetype into this because at surface value, Thaumaturge celebrity, how does that work? But then putting it in the span of this is a famous monster hunter, mm -hmm. that's kind of a classic trope, you know? Yeah. That's kind of cool. I like that a lot. I think also being like a, a dusk walker who returned from the dead, like you you were fighting alongside your hobgoblin allies and then you fall in battle, but you fall defending the rest of your team, making sure everybody else makes it out alive. And then the, the psychopomps bring you back to life so you can keep going. I think in hobgoblin society, that would make you a celebrity. Oh, for sure. Imagine like the battle is over, like mm -hmm. your friends watch you die mm -hmm. and then you stumble into camp you know like hours or days later yeah that would yeah. definitely start your legend you know that'd be cool my next hobgoblin is more atypical as i often like it this is a warren bred hobgoblin so the the heritage that is used to living underground and i've picked psychic as a class which you when I first picked it, I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I didn't think it would actually make sense, but it does. Because remember, hobgoblins get that bonus to intelligence. And so I'm picturing this hobgoblin as like an advisor to the general. You know, like, like. Folks, I got so excited that I started waving my hands around and I slapped all of my equipment and I had to fix it real quick. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm picturing this hobgoblin as like a sage next to the general. Oh, my liege. Oh, I'm, I'm about to do do the voice anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, my liege. I believe that they will attack at sunset. The bones have said so. And, or, or like, you know, and they're like using their mind and thinking it. That's also why I picked for the psychic, the infinite eye of the conscious mind, which gives you, you know, clairvoyance and precognition. And the gathered lore, so you just know all the things, and you can use it to help all your allies. And I'm naming this character Varlock. Now, I was going to pick Varlock's voice, because I was very interested in what you were going to do for this character. But you went and you gave it away for free, so... Uh... Yeah, but I didn't do the... I, I, should I just go ahead and do the, do the sentence? No. I'll just do the no, sentence. No, 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 no. I'm going to pick someone else. I already got Varlock's that's, voice. That's not fair! That's not fair! Oh, you chose to do goodness. that. You trust oh my goodness. I am reaping what I have sown. <laughs> yeah, so my next hobgoblin, uh, I posted in the No Direction server that every time we do these ancestry episodes, uh, there is a guarantee that at least one of my uh, my character ideas will be a genie kin. There is one genie kin or I don't know your time back. This is a guarantee. I guarantee it. So this is my genie kin for this episode. Uh, this is an Oriad hobgoblin witch named Idrizol. So Idrizol fought in the Iron Fang invasion and was changed by their travels on the Stone Roads. So traveling on the Stone Roads and being in the uh, the Onyx Vault is what made Idrizol into an Oriad. The, uh, they were not born that way. They became that way in life. And so uh, Idrizol is uh, a primal caster witch with the wild patron because uh, they have made a connection with 
a Cantoris, that uh, goddess of life, transformation, and forests, who was the creator of the Cantorian spring that created the first hobgoblins. Cantoris is supposed to be dead, so is Idrisol's connection with the goddess herself? Is it with a surviving herald? Or is it maybe with uh, the goddess's lingering connection to life that persists even after her death? Those are questions to be answered by the hypothetical GM of this character that I've created. That's actually really cool. I love when when in, in these fantasy games that we play, I love when we talk about the power of dead gods, mm-hmm. you know? Like, do they have power? Where is it coming from? What's the source of it? And I know in in though in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, there's these corpses of gods floating out in the ether and you know they're powerful and i've always thought that was those are just fun concepts that i wish was explored a bit more all right who is your final hobgoblin lauren i'm not gonna say this one is my favorite i think that i think that varlock my goblin psychic is probably my favorite just because it's so interesting but this is another i I think and i think a fairly classic hobgoblin I'm I'm going with a runt boss hobgoblin, so the kind that is a little bit shorter than the others, but still taller than goblins, but works with a lot of goblins. And this is an alchemist, but not just any alchemist. This is an alchemist of the demolitious, demolitionist dedication. They specialize in bombs, because I picture armies need a saboteur sometimes. And this, and this hobgoblin is just the one to do it with the tricks and the techniques that they have learned from their close proximity with their very respected goblin allies yeah i thought i wanted to tie in uh the rump boss with having a bunch of goblin friends who taught this one how to make explosives even better and the name of this goblin or goblin of this hobgoblin is hapa but they don't go by hapa they go by Boomy. All right, I have chosen that I want to hear Boomy's voice. Okay, well, <clears throat> let's see. Let me see. Uh, I ha- let me think about this. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, is that the? You do your last one. Okay, while yeah. I you think, think about this. Yeah, you think about Boomy's voice while I tell everybody about my Aphorite Hobgoblin investigator, Sezekier. Sezekier has the interrogation methodology uh so they are very hands-on with their investigations question mark uh also the dandy archetype a just uh, classic and just classic uh and also uses a sword cane so this is a very like you know wearing a suit jacket has glasses got the cane very uh refined debonair uh but then uh, over the course of the investigation, well, who knows who you have to interrogate. And I liked the tie-in of this being an Aphorite hobgoblin because of all of the mentions of how hobgoblin society is so ordered, so regimented, so lawful. I feel like that would be something that maybe uh, lawful outsiders would have some kind of... Uh, a connection there, a tie-in. Uh, I like Aphorite for a Hobgoblin quite a bit. It's neat because it's peanut butter and jelly. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. think they go together, but they do. They're an interesting combination. Or better yet, it's like peanut butter and pickles, which you wouldn't, which you would think do not go together. And then I'm to- I'm told that they do. I haven't had peanut butter pickles. It might be gross. I don't know. My husband likes cheddar cheese on apple pie. Apparently, that's a thing. I've heard about that. I've never heard about peanut butter and pickles, but I've heard about cheese on pie. I'm going to say that the pie is the Afrite and the cheese mm-hmm. is Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they strangely go together. Okay. I'm going to have to do Hoppa, a.k.a. Boomy. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to take a different a different turn with this than I was expecting to. I want, I want, her, I want her to be diligent and, you know, kind of exact and precise a professional despite the nickname boomy so let me go find the sentence here we go i could probably stand the sight of you until we leave this wretched hole Ooh. yeah i'm, not, I'm, I'm okay right. with that Who's i'm not voice... mad about that one yeah whose voice do you want to hear from my uh, selection of plain touched. Well, so I, I, I like them all for different reasons. Mm-hmm. My my fate my current favorite Pathfinder class is the Investigator, mm-hmm. and man, what an interesting Investigator you've presented here. But also, the new hotness that I'm kind of looking at is the Thaumaturge, which I really mm-hmm. want to play. But I gotta say, I think the story of your witch Idrizol has me a little bit enthralled. So I'd like to see what you do with that voice. All right. Idrizol, the Oread Hobgoblin Witch. Listeners at home, you can't see it, but Jess is doing some silly little shakes. I see some vocal exercises going on, some stretching of the jaw. Let's see what she's got. I can probably stand the sight of you until we leave this wretched hole. Nice, yeah, yeah. She sounds... She sounds tired. (laughs) She sounds like she's seen a lot. I imagine so. Now we have some listener questions about Hobgoblins from the No Direction Discord. And if you want to ask questions for a notor- for an episode of Legend Lore, you can join the No Direction Discord, too. Uh, this question comes from patron Jaina B. How would growing up in a purely militaristic society affect a hobgoblin character's interaction with other player characters? Well, this is an interesting question, especially as a veteran myself. But also as a scientist, I like operational definitions. And I feel like a militaristic society could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So let's say that we're talking about Operic. We're talking about these hobgoblins from Pathfinder. We're talking about they grow up in a society that is regimented. It is disciplined. It is organized. Your your mayor will tell you when you can eat and for how long, right? I think that this probably feels similar to maybe the way some veterans who have been in the military for a very long time, regardless of what they had to actually do as part of their as part of their time, I feel like when you come out of that and you're interacting with civilians who weren't in the military or 
didn't grow up with a military family. I've seen a, I've seen a lot of civilians. I've had a lot of friends that were civilians that grew up with a military family. They're just, they just get it. It's a little bit easier to be your gruff self with them. Uh, but I, I feel like a Hobgoblin character then coming up and going into Absalom and going down the street, they're going to have to kind of keep their mouth shut until they've had a chance to think a little bit more about what they want to say. Or even better, they're going to have to learn a little bit more patience when things aren't as organized or regimented as they're used to. Because that's kind of the feeling I think I would get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's also a lot of like connections you can uh, draw in between... Um the militaristic society the hobgoblin grew up in where you are accustomed to being a part of a team and a part of something larger that you can bring in with the rest of the player character party that you join where these other characters are your team they are the ones who you go into battle with them you trust them they trust you and you have to know that they have your back and you have theirs our next question from patron Vardok Bloodstone. What are some top tips a terrorist would need when visiting Oprak? And, you know, what would need to be explained to a hobgoblin tourist visiting Absalom? Yeah, I can see how there are some cultural differences between these two places. So a tourist visiting Oprak, I mean, you would want to make sure that you are really staying on top of knowing what the local customs, but also the local laws are. Oh, yeah. You, you do not want to be going into Oprak and kind of stumbling into something that you weren't supposed to do or wandering into an area that you weren't supposed to be in. Or if you are someone of the persuasion where you want to be going somewhere you're not supposed to be, you should be prepared for maybe the consequences of that being perhaps more severe than you might expect in other nations. You know, it's just, you know, you, you made me think of some of a good tip here for that traveler. You should know the schedule of mm. the of the shops or, or the attractions that you want to visit in Oprak. Like, imagine that it's a little bit after breakfast, you know, you slept in, you want to go get some food. But <laughs> because of the regimental lifestyle uh, of these hobgoblins, Chow only open for an hour, right? And then it'll open up again for, for lunch for one hour. It'll open up again for one hour for dinner, right? <laughs> Maybe you got to know these schedules. I think if one of these hobgoblins, though, was becoming a tourist, going out and visiting Absalom, maybe they're a diplomat for Oprak. Maybe they're... Actually, I think that's pretty good. Oh, maybe they're wealthy. Maybe they're a hobgoblin who has accumulated a lot of spoils of war and they want to go partake of the culture in Absalom. I think they would be well served to remember... A lot of people are fragile <laughs> in a lot of different ways. You should... Be patient with them. You should You should not speak so directly as if you were ordering a subordinate in the military, right? And you might need to expect that, eh, you know, people will get around to things when it suits their schedule. It's not going to be as organized as you're used to. 
be prepared to interface with just a lot of nonsense. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Stuff that doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. Why do you people do this? Because mm-hmm. they weren't because they weren't in the military. That's why. Our next question comes from Battle Zoo's own Mark Seifter. Given that a hob is traditionally a tiny little house fairy, how do you think this eventually led to hobgoblins as militaristic human-sized goblins? Yeah, the Christian church. Yeah, it's definitely the church. Most of the evils, you know, coming out of that age <laughs> involve the Catholic church. Yeah, there's I, a I, lot of there's a lot of like uh taking a fairy spirit and redefining it as a demon or a devil. There's a lot of overlap there, which is why you also see like uh fairy bargains and also devil bargains. Mhm. Mhm. It was a um it was a very successful and unfortunately ubiquitous tactic in that day and age and it's why a lot of the previously mischievous creatures are kind of painted in a, a less wholesome light nowadays. From patron Project Jaco, we have, why do you suppose hobgoblins have such a hard time smiling without looking like they are about to strip your flesh from your face with their teeth? Okay, okay. I, it's because, all right, have you ever seen a shark smile at you without looking like... It's going to strip your flesh from your face with their teeth. No, you haven't. Because they have those weird, like, pointy teeth that are made for stripping your flesh from your face with their teeth. It's the same thing. Hobgoblins have shark teeth. It's canon now. I'm, I'm going to get Luis on the phone and let him know. Hey, write it into the next <laughs> Lost Omens book because <laughs> hobgoblins regrow their teeth and they have rows of them behind waiting to go. It's also like the fact that they have a head shape that is different from a human head shape. Like people, humans, us, out of the game, we're really good, maybe some of us, at recognizing uh, facial expressions on other human faces. But when you take those expressions and you try to translate them onto animals or other face shapes, stuff kind of starts going a little, a little it's funky. Little they, don't, they don't quite map up in the same way. And then listener Paper Ninja asks, what happens when you put three hobgoblins in a trench coat? Well, Paper Ninja, how big is, how big is this trench coat, right? Like, hobgoblins aren't the same size as goblins. And goblins, you can stack them up pretty easy. They fit in a trench coat. And you have a very convincing human when you put the three goblins in the trench coat. But if this is the same size trench coat, right, and we're going to put three hobgoblins in it, they can't stand, like, like on each other's shoulders. Hey, you can't do it. They're going to have to be side by side. So, like, instead of, like, one atop the other, like, the the leftmost hobgoblin has their arm going through a sleeve. The rightmost has their arm going through a sleeve. And they kind of, like, walk together. Maybe, like, you keep, like, the big sides of the trench coat up so, like, their bulbous heads are not, are not sticking out. You could do it. You could have it like that. But I don't think that that's what you're asking about. I think what you're really asking is if it was one super long trench coat like a giant vertical tube and we're stacking them up just one atop the other and i imagine if you did that you had this wacky inflatable hobgoblin stick with a trench coat i think you're making a deity 
here. A new hobgoblin deity. Perhaps the hobgoblin deity to reshape the face of Aviston. A hob-eridan. Hobgoboden. Arrow-hobgen. I think they just fit in the trench coat. I think that your bottom... Yeah, I think that your bottom hobgoblin is the... What was that hobgoblin heritage where you're, like, real squirt and you have, like, short oh, legs? Oh, no! Oh, no! What if you put three of them in a trench coat? Oh, no, 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 no. We have one of them on the bottom layer so that your legs are, like, real short. And oh, the next fair. hobgoblin up is, like, a regular-sized hobgoblin. And so that hobgoblin is, like, all, like, lanky limb legs with kind of, like, a short torso, right? And the hobgoblin on top of that is the runt boss hobgoblin, so you're, like, smaller and more, like, comparable oh, yeah. to the goblin. And so with this combination of like real squirt short legs and then a, a kind of like a, a short torso, uh, I think I think they fit. I think it's a weird fit, but I think they fit. You have described the chosen one. Yeah. The chosen three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have we chosen the right lore to share with you about hobgoblins today? Are you with more military intelligence about these goblinoids. We hope you can strategize about them as PCs and NPCs at your own war table, because that's all we have for you today. Make sure to check out the rest of our content on the No Direction Network. If you like this show, or any of our other blogs or shows, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash no direction, because it's the support of our patrons that make this all possible. Until next time, I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. Thanks for listening to Legend Lore, and as always, this ritual has the uncommon trait, so always ask your Game Master if you can learn it in their game. I don't remember what you just did. Okay. I don't either. Um, um, um. Drew, do you remember? What was it? <laughs> Help us out, bud. Why are you being yeah. so quiet? Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't, you can't talk through time? Wrong with you. Drew, you're fired. Oh, no.